This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. I hope you're doing well today. It's kind of midsummer here in the Northeast. It's hot. I've been doing a lot of traveling. You know, it's great to get back behind the microphone here and podcast. I've, I really enjoy podcasting and kind of getting this opportunity to share thoughts with you and hopefully information to help you in your engineering career and life. I was in Seattle recently for the National Society of Professional Engineers annual conference, and I got to tell you, Seattle's a beautiful city. If any of you out there like traveling, and that's that's the theme on our blog this month at Engineering Career Coach, got to check out Seattle. It is really beautiful. And I also had the opportunity just recently to go to down to Fort Worth, Texas for the podcast movement conference, which was an awesome conference. First of all, Fort Worth is really cool. I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a, it's a neat city. And a lot of people don't know that it's actually a separate city from Dallas. So I guess you know that may be, be some news for you. But I did get to meet a lot of my podcasting kind of heroes, I guess you could say, like Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. There's so many great podcasters there and just so many podcasters there in general. I even mar- met Mark Marin from the WTF podcast who <laughs> interviewed President Obama in his garage a couple of months ago, which I find to be fascinating. But I guess the point is, is you know, get out there and get in conferences and meet people in your industry because it's really energizing, I think is the word. So today's episode will be, again, a little bit of a different one. Back on episode 65, if you remember, I did a summary of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I called it Personal Finance for Engineers. The feedback was absolutely phenomenal on that show, uh, which kind of blew me away because honestly, when I, when I recorded it, I was a little nervous about it because it wasn't you know, directly related to your engineering career per se, although I think obviously your finances are. But, you know, recorded it, published it, and the feedback was great, people asking for more. And I mentioned on that show that I was going to do a real estate investing podcast. The feedback, again, was great. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about real estate. My guest for today is going to be Vittorio, uh, an engineer in New Jersey who is a member of our engineering career community. And we're going to dive into a lot. I mean, this is a longer than usual episode, probably about 45 minutes. And we get into some tips right up front on real estate. We get into different investment strategies. Vittorio goes through a whole list of tips for renting properties. And, and we're both engineers and we both own a handful of properties. And that's kind of why we put this together between us. And we, we're by no means are we experts, but we do have experience. And that's what we're kind of sharing with you today. So we're going to jump into that in a minute. Um, one other thing I want to mention, which is kind of a more of a personal thing, but I thought some of you might find it interesting, is I decided recently to do some research, family tree style research. I read a wonderful book called The Shoemaker's Wife which believe me, it's the last book I would ever pick up off the bookshelf in the store, but uh, it was given to me by a relative. I read it and you know, I'm Italian and my history, you know, my great-grandparents pretty much all came from Italy. So the book kind of inspired me and I, and I started talking more to my grandparents and getting on Ancestry.com and doing a whole bunch of research. And I got to tell you, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. If you haven't kind of dove into your past, your history, you know, kind of where you came from, it's really, really an interesting thing to look into. I really just connected with about a week or two ago, a relative of mine in Italy that I've never knew about, never spoken to. 
They're actually in Sicily, and I'm going to get the opportunity to visit with them next summer. They have no computers in their house. They speak only Italian, but I'll be learning Italian and I'll be going to visit them. So it's just something I wanted to share with you. I think it's fascinating. I found some amazing things like my great-grandfather's draft card that he registered for where he put down his occupation as a self-junk dealer. So you learn so much about kind of your family and where they came from. And I would you know, highly recommend that you, you just, just have a conversation with some of your, your, your grandparents, your relatives. Again, it's fascinating. All right. So with that, we're going to jump into this show on real estate. And I'd like to just take a brief moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode. Our sponsors are really important to us and our listeners because they allow us to keep this show free. So once again, we're grateful for PPI. If you're thinking about taking the FEP or SE exam this year, I recommend that you check out PPI. PPI is the leader in engineering exam preparation. For a special 15% discount, use promo code COACH at ppi2pass.com forward slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash coach, and use the promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. Please support our sponsors. If you have to do an FEPE exam, SE exam, Please, PPI is awesome. I've used their books and by supporting them, you're supporting us and really helping us to keep this show free and available for engineers around the world. All right. So now let me give you a quote related to today's topic of real estate and we'll jump right into the main segment and dive into this conversation with Vittorio. The quote is as follows. Now, one thing I tell everyone is learn about real estate. Repeat after me. Real estate provides the highest returns the greatest values, and the least risk. And that's from Armstrong Williams, who was an American journalist. Again, now, one thing I tell everyone is learn about real estate. Repeat after me. Real estate provides the highest returns, the greatest values, and the least risk. All right, let's do it. All right, so now it's time for our main segment of the show. And as I mentioned earlier, because of the response we got to the Rich Dad Poor Dad summary we did, we decided to do a real estate kind of real estate investment episode. And I have Vittorio here with me, who's also an engineer like myself, who's done some investing in real estate. Vittorio is a licensed professional engineer, experienced in the scoping and design of numerous roadway projects, including geometric design, roadside design, stormwater management, utility exploration and pretty much all aspects of, of traffic and highway access design. He's worked with a lot of governmental agencies. He's also very proficient in a lot of the software, uh, modeling software in his industry. Torio is also a member of the engineering career community, so I've gotten to know him over the past few years, and he came to the uh, summit that we had down in D.C. this year. Vittorio, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Anthony. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Vittorio's got a lot of experience with rentals, and I have some experience myself. So we're going to dive into this one today. Uh, Vittorio's put together a couple of good lists here that we're going to run through. It's quite a bit of information. We won't spend a ton of time on it, but what we will do is we'll put all this information into the show notes for the show, which will be at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash real estate. The show notes will contain a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as any links to resources, websites, or books that we might mention. And again, that'll be located at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash real estate. So Vittorio, we have a couple things we're going to cover here. We're going to talk a little bit about just in general, why real estate is a good investment up front. Then we're going to get into some four investment strategies for real estate. And then we're going to close it out with 11 tips on rental properties. 
And Vittoria, before we jump into this, tell me why or how you got into real estate. Like what turned you on to it? Yeah. So after I graduated from uh, Rowan, I needed a place to live. So I decided to to buy my first house uh, in 2007. I was about 23 years old and I decided to rent to friends of mine. So I was the one when we rented in college that had to you know, deliver the check to the landlord and I saw how much we were paying him and how much he was making. So, right. <laughs> you know, it seemed like a lucrative uh, business to get into. So, okay. If I need a place to live, why not let other people, you know, pay for it for me? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Started renting to friends. And then the next year, I decided to buy another one. And the next year, I bought another one. And then, uh, you know, I got into a mastermind group with some other people that were doing the same thing. And we decided to team up and uh, form a partnership. And we ended up buying two more. So I currently manage five rental properties. Wow, that's awesome. And And just for those of you that don't know, I haven't talked much about some of the properties that I have on the podcast at all, but essentially it was kind of similar to Vittorio and that, you know, also in college, I saw that, you know, we were paying a ton of money for our apartments. And then when my wife and I got married, really the most affordable thing for us was to buy a two family house and live in half of it and rent the other half out. And that almost covered the mortgage, just renting half of it. So, you know, it kind of became obvious that that's a pretty good way to live. And then eventually we moved and we were able to keep the property and made a couple other investments. So we have a few properties as well. Total of five properties, but a couple we we share with some partners. But mostly residential. I think Vittorio and myself mostly have residential, but I'm sure a lot of the stuff that we talk about today could apply potentially to other properties as well. So the first thing we're going to cover is, Vittorio, you have a list here of kind of talking a little bit about why in real estate investing can be good can be is attractive for people and it's from looks like that the points here from Gary Keller's book Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Let's run through those a bit. The first one is uh it's accessible. Yeah, really uh it's accessible, you know, anyone can buy it. Um you know, you can a little bit of money down out of pocket, um you can get a mortgage, you know, anyone can get into it. Rates are low these days. Yeah. The second would be that it's appreciable, uh increases in value over time. You can also have forced appreciation where you kind of improve the property and, you know, and force the value to go up. Uh, it's leverageable, which is probably the, the biggest uh, benefit that I see. You know, if you were to take $10,000 and invest it in the stock market versus $10,000 in real estate, in real estate, I could get a, you know, a $100,000 property, you know, 10% down. If the market increased 10%, the house is now worth $110,000. And I had a Hundred percent return on investment. If I took the same ten thousand, put it in the stock market, and the market went up ten percent, I'd have eleven thousand dollars, and it would be a ten percent return on investment. So you can really um, make your money work a lot harder by leveraging other people's money. It's a good point. The fourth is that it's rentable. Uh, you can get monthly cash flow. Fifth is improvable. You can do sweat equity to improve your value, and you know that's that forced appreciation that I mentioned. Uh, it's deductible, depreciable, and deferrable. So there's some great tax benefits that come with owning rental properties or any real estate. It's stable. Uh, the market's somewhat predictable. It's slow to rise, slow to fall, and it's livable. It's shelter in more ways than one. And everybody needs a place to live. So, Sure. No, that's, that's a really good list. And a couple of key points there. I think the leverageable one's a big one. You know, With just a small down payment, you can purchase something that has a, a lot of value to it. And I think that that is that's huge. Like you said, you buy a stock, you pay for what it's worth at that time. You buy a property, 
it's worth a lot more than the amount of money you're putting down. So that one I like a lot. And I do like the idea that it's improvable, meaning that, you know, the value of it. Now, obviously we'll get into this a little bit later on, you know, location's a critical thing. So that's going to drive the value. But to some degree, you have the power in your own hands to improve a property. And I think that that's something that that's big. You know, it's it's like, you know, if you invest in a stock, you're not really going to be the one that's going to do something physically to improve that stock, obviously. The people that work at that company are. So I think I like that a lot. And again, stable too is also a great one. I mean, I think most of what we're talking about here tonight, and we're going to get into some investment strategies now, but we're mostly talking about long-term, at least not, you're really not buying flip, although that, obviously that is an option. But again, when you have a property for a while, you do have some stability there. So let's jump into these four main investment strategies. The first one is wholesaling. Vittorio, talk about wholesaling a little bit. So wholesaling is really um, where you would you would talk to the sellers, negotiate deals, uh, get a property under contract, and then you uh, would assign the contract or just sell it to another investor for a fee. So usually $5,000. I would negotiate the deal, make sure it's a good deal, approach an investor that may be looking in that area and say, you know, I got this property, it's worth a hundred thousand, uh, the seller wants fifty thousand, needs ten thousand in repairs. You know, here's what it, it would be worth after, you know, you put your ten grand into it. Hmm. You know, give me five grand and, and you can buy it. So it's like a middleman kind of deal? Yeah, they basically find the deal and and, and sell it for a fee. Okay. Good way to get deals. The second strategy is rehab, flip, buy, fix, sell. This is one obviously that's popular out there. You see a lot of TV shows on this. Of course, they make it. I think they make it look a lot easier than it is a lot of the time. But talk a little bit about this strategy and if you've had any experience with it. Yeah, uh, like you said, it's not not as easy as it looks. Um, two of my rentals actually were going to be flips that that didn't flip and <laughs> ended up uh, you know becoming long term holds. So. Really, it's, uh, you know, you buy the property at a significant discount where it needs work, maybe from a distressed seller, you know, a um, foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, or an estate sale. You know, you hire a contractor, most likely if we're, most of us, I think, on this call or on the, that listen to the podcast, they're going to be part-time investors and full-time engineers. You know, hire a GC to to, uh, run the rehab and then you put it on the market and sell it to a, a retail buyer for for a nice chunk of cash. Now, just so everyone's clear on this, we are obviously on this podcast episode, we're scratching the surface. I mean, we're, we're two engineers here that have had some, you know, have done a little real estate investing. By no means are we real estate experts. So, you know, when you're talking about flipping a house, and, and Vittorio mentioned a couple of ways that you could get a house. There's sciences that go into this with foreclosures and all kinds of other ways you can go to auctions and stuff like that. So if you really dug into this a bit, there's a lot of ways that you can get creative and you can buy properties at a discount. Like I said, when you watch these TV shows, they make it, you know, most of the time they start and they already have the house. And then a lot of times the hardest part about the flipping part is getting that right buy, waiting for that right buy, and then fixing it up. Now, Vittorio, on the properties that you had, was it that you they just weren't selling for what you wanted to get for them when you tried to flip them or? Yeah. Um, the one was a, a townhouse in a, uh, a lower income neighborhood, I guess. And we weren't really finding any qualified, uh, buyers. So we decided to, to rent it and even renting, it took a long time before we found a, a tenant that, uh, you know, met our rental criteria. Is this a property you still have or? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, we have a section eight tenant in there now, which is, um, subsidized housing. Okay. And it's been pretty good. She's been there, I think, uh, two or three years now. Um, you know, we get our check, uh, from HUD every month and she pays a little extra, um, for her share, but. Okay. Uh, the other one was actually, um, a lease option that, um, which I'm going to talk about next, but, uh, she ended up not being able to buy. She got through, went through a divorce uh, before she was able to purchase the property. So we have it listed for sale right now. Okay. You know, if we don't get any offers in the next few weeks, we may um, rent it again. All right. So let's, let's talk about that next option. The third investment strategy is a lease option. What is that? So lease option is, is what we tried to do with this last property. Um, it's basically a rent to own, which I'm sure a lot more people have heard of. You offer a lease and an option to purchase. So the tenant would pay an option fee up front for the right to purchase the property in a couple of years. So we collected a $5,000 option fee up front. Uh, then we rent the property for two years. And then towards the end of the term of the rental, the tenant would apply for a mortgage and then buy the property at a pre-negotiated price. If they don't purchase the property, they lose the option fee. So that's what ended up happening. We made $5,000 up front. We rented it, you know, cash flowed it for two years. She ended up not purchasing it, walked away from her option fee. And, uh, we, you know, now we're listing the property to try to sell. All right. So basically the benefit to the landlord in that case is that you're getting some cash up front. The benefit to the tenant potential owner is that they're negotiating at a, a price. Well, I mean, it could be a benefit two years in advance, depending on the market. But I'm, I'm guessing those are the benefits, right? It's a little more advanced because you have to kind of look at the market cycle, I guess, and see where you think the value of the property is going to be in two years. Um, the big benefit to the tenant is that someone who's not able to qualify for a mortgage at the time can uh, get into the property. Uh, you know, They can improve it as they live there. It's really their property. They have the pride of ownership kind of. Build up some credit. Right. And build up credit so that down the road, they're able to purchase the property. Okay. So that's that's actually probably a really good option for many of our listeners who might be younger engineers that are maybe just out of school and thinking about you know wanting to potentially own a property, but don't have maybe the funds right now or don't have the credit or you know, it's kind of what Vittorio spoke about. You can look for this rent to own or lease option. All right. The fourth investment strategy is to buy and hold rentals, which I, I know most of what I have and I know some of your other ones too, but why don't you just talk about it a bit, Vittorio? Yeah. I mean, really, this is just a, a long-term strategy for uh, for building wealth. I, I think it's probably one of the oldest professions, you know, being a landlord. You buy the property and, and you rent it to someone else to cover the uh, your monthly expenses and make a little extra on top. You know, at the same time, they're um, paying down your the principal of your mortgage, and the property's appreciating. So, you're making money in several different ways. When I did the podcast on Rich Dad Poor Dad, which was probably a month or two ago, I'll list that in the show notes in case you want to listen to that one again. It was uh, episode 65 in his book. The author talks mostly about the biggest way to build wealth is these buy and hold rentals. Essentially, you get to the point where you have a large number of them, and if they're all turning a positive cash flow every month, you're going to start to really build up positive cash flow. And we're going to get into the next part of the show. We'll dig into rentals and talk a lot about them because kind of building on this last strategy. But this is one that's, you know, it's going to take time because you have to start to maybe accumulate some properties and save up some down payments. 
But this is one, like Vittorio said, this is one of the oldest ways to build wealth. It's just not necessarily easy. It takes time. It takes patience. You know, you got to be smart about it. And, you know, that's why we're going to spend some time diving into this now. And and I think, as you said, Vittorio, when we went over some of the stuff earlier, you really got to pick the strategy that works best for you based on your resources, your lifestyle, what your goals are. One of the things you're going to, a lot of people say is, you know, I don't want to be dealing with tenants all the time. And that's true. And you got to weigh that out. If you're going to be owning just one or two properties, it's probably not going to be a big deal. If you want to get into five, 10, 15 properties or these properties where you have a lot of different units, then you may have to get some help and maybe have a management company get involved. But we're going to jump into all that stuff now. One thing I do want to mention though, before we get into the next part, which is the rentals and rental tips. And I know I mentioned one book that Vittorio had listed, which was Gary Keller's book, Millionaire Real Estate Investor, which I'll link to in the show notes. There's another book that I'm in the process of reading that's really good, which is The ABCs of Real Estate Investing. And it's by Ken McElroy. And he's actually, it's actually published by Rich Dad. He's Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad's uh, real estate kind of consultant. But I found it to be a really good book. I'll talk a little bit about it more at the end after we go through our points because I don't want to overlap with anything. All right. So now we're going to jump in and go through these points on tips for rental properties. Victoria, why don't you do the, again, go through these and I'll, I'll add in here on each one. Okay. Uh, the first one would be to make sure that you have enough capital before you get started. There's uh, a lot of costs that go with acquiring real estate. You know, the biggest one is going to be your down payment. If you're just starting out, I guess as a, you know, you're looking for a place to live like I was. When I bought my first property, it was no money out of pocket. Um, you know, financing rules have changed a lot since 2007. You can still get, if you're going to be living in the property as primary residence, you can still get a loan for, I think, 3.5% out of pocket, 3.5% down. If you're looking to acquire as a, you know, investment property, I think the minimum you're going to find is probably 20% down. Yep. On top of that, you're going to need money for closing costs like mortgage fees, title insurance. You're going to need any money for repairs that you're going to have to make to the property, insurance, utilities, and you probably want to have a nice cash reserve for any unexpected vacancies or repairs that might come up. You know, along those lines, there's there's plenty of ways that you can acquire that money, um, whether you just have it saved or you can get a conventional financing, which would be a mortgage on a property. Uh, you can look at other sources of income like hard money, loans, private lending, retirement plans. You can partner with somebody that has money. You can look at a home equity loan. If you have a, a house now, you can you know, take that, that cash out and roll it into an investment property. There's a ton of other creative methods that you can find, find money, finance a deal like subject to or owner financing or even credit cards. So the most important part, I think, is to, um, to keep in mind is that you should line up your funding before you have the deal. So you don't want to find a deal and then uh, you know, tell the seller, like, oh, wait, wait for a, a month while I go see if I can find a banker that wants to make me a loan. It usually doesn't work that way. So when you're making an offer on a property, you typically have to have a pre-approval or pre-qualification to submit with that offer and show that you're serious. Yeah, and that might be the most important point that we mentioned on this episode because the funding has changed so much since we've had, you know, the the financial crisis and all the mortgages people that, you know, went belly up on their mortgages. 
it's not even investment properties, just buying a house in general. Even if it's a primary residence, it's very difficult to get a mortgage today. And most of the sales today that fall through are because people can't get their loan for whatever reason. They don't have uh, enough equity in their, in their existing property. They don't have enough. They don't make enough money. Them and their spouse together don't make enough money. It's a very, very difficult process these days. So like Vittorio said, you've got to know what, you, what you're going to have to have and you've got to have that money plus more. All right, Vittorio, what's the next one? The next one kind of along the same lines is to know your numbers. So when you're looking at evaluating an investment property, the main thing that you look at is your maximum allowable offer or your MAO. Some people call it MAO. Uh, it's based on your desired return on investment. So it's your after repair value, which is the value of the property after you rehab it or make any repairs that are required, minus any closing costs, minus any holding costs, and minus the cost of any of the repairs that you had to make. So that'll tell you basically what you can pay for the property and um, you know, still be in a decent spot, I guess, you know, with, with equity-wise. The next thing that you want to look at after you, you do your, your, uh, your maximum allowable offer would be cash flow for a rental property. And your cash flow is what you think it'll rent for minus your PITI, which is your principal interest, taxes, and insurance, and any other expenses like uh, utilities or lawn maintenance. And that'll tell you what your cash flow each month will be. And hopefully it would be a positive number. Some people say, you know, a minimum of $200 per month, positive cash flow is what they look for. I look for much more just because I don't want to get involved if it's not worth it to me. And I need, uh, you know, I would think at least $500 cash flow for, for me to get into the deal. That's a big one too, because there's a lot of variables in, in real estate and we're not even through this list yet, but in some cases to get apartment in a really good location, you might say, you know what, I'm okay with like even a hundred dollars cash flow or break even. This is an awesome, awesome location. I know that this is going to appreciate. I'm okay with that. Whereas in another location, you have to say, you know, this isn't the best location in the world. I'm going to have to make sure that I'm getting good cash flow to make this worth it. So there's kind of a lot of variables here, but I think that understanding all the numbers is a critical aspect before you buy. And, you know, on some of my properties, I didn't understand all the numbers at the time. So we're we're not positive. We're not negative. We're right around break even. But you know, if something happens, which essentially it does every year, like you need to repair something, then you're, you end up being negative for the year. So it's really something to, to be key on. Right. But at the same time, you're getting that, that principal buy down too, which is a huge, uh, you know, in 30 years, the property would be free and clear. And you'll have- yeah. You're building equity every month in that property, which is a great thing too. And that's kind of why the proper couple of properties that we have, which are in decent locations, but aren't really yielding a lot of positive cash flow, for now we're holding with them because we think that you know the paydown is is worth it. Right. Yeah. It goes back to your goals. So if you're in it for the long term and you're looking for that big chunk of change when you sell it at the end, then you know you may be comfortable with less cash flow. Yeah. And and for example, in, in our situation, my wife and I are thinking, you know, if we've got these two properties and we pay them off and then then our kids go to school, we've got that income coming in, whether we help us pay for college or, you know, whatever the case may be. So again, it's all dependent on your lifestyle, your goals and, and what you want to do. And, and that that's also goes into when you buy it. Yeah. You should really know uh, where you want to be before you, before you buy it. All right. What's the next one? So this is probably the biggest rule of real estate. It's location, location, location. When you're looking at a property, you really want to, to look at the, the rental market you know, is it a desirable area? There are a lot of people that want to rent there. 
you know, in the case of my townhouse, it wasn't a very desirable area. So you're not going to get really good quality tenants. Um, you know, if people don't want to live there, it's going to be tough to rent it. If it's close to a you know, major city or major employers, uh, that's a huge plus. People are going to want to live there. You want to keep in mind the proximity to public transportation. In my case, my first three rentals were in the college town where I went to school. So I pretty much have a you know, captive audience there. Uh, and the plus side with a college is that the students pay a lot more money for their rentals. So that's how I'm able to get a, a, a larger cash flow. You know, it's not without its headaches. I, I have to turn over the property every year, basically, um, you know, when the college kids move on. But, you know, and they're not the cleanest, but I'm comfortable with that, knowing that I can make a significantly higher cash flow. So the next tip along with location is that you should keep the property as close to your primary residence as possible. This is a big one. Yeah, the, the further it is, the further it is, the the less likely you are to drive by, less likely you are to to want to make repairs, and the the more aggravation that you're going to have when it you know in managing the property. Yeah, I mean, for me, I can speak on the combination of these two points. One of my properties is basically a fail on both of these because we picked a place in down in southern Jersey that's in a bad location. We listened to the, my partner's friend on this one who bought a place in the in the complex said it was good. And maybe at the time it was, but after we bought it, the market went down, the area is bad. And essentially we've had to turn over like every year because we keep getting tenants that are moving out and the property value has decreased dramatically since we bought it. So essentially, even if we sold it, we would owe money and it's two hours, a little over two hours from our house. So, you know, for both like me and my partner, so no one ever really wants to go there. So it's been it's been a good learning experience. And at this point, we just it, it's kind of in the situation where we have to hold it. We've just rented it to what seemed like some really good people. So we're hoping that um, we keep this tenant for a while. Luckily, it's not a huge mortgage payment. So we're getting by with it. But it's just these dislocation and keeping the property close to you is very important. Now, obviously, there's situations where it's like a, maybe like a summer house where you have something and it's a little bit further away, but it's only summers and you use it sometimes and you rent it sometimes, that might be good too. But the one thing too to remember with the summer houses and these vacation homes is that, remember what I talked about, if you listen to the Rich Dad Poor Dad episode, again, if you didn't, we'll link to it or just read his book. In my opinion, a vacation home is a big expense. Unless you're going to rent it and cover the yearly mortgage over like a summer and still get a chance to go a week or two yourself, to me, you're just taking on another expense. So, you know, and my wife had mentioned to me a few times, should we think about getting a vacation home? My answer is always no. Number one, I'd prefer to travel to different locations all the time and see different things. Number two, I don't want to have all my money tied up in a place that I can only rent for a certain time of the year. So that's just some, you know, I guess maybe me venting a little bit from a mistake that I made, but, you know, it's, all part of the learning process. And when you invest in real estate property, they're not all going to be great. You heard both of us talk about some losers already today, but that happens and you just have to keep pushing on. Yeah. But I mean, you got to keep in mind, even a, even a loser is eventually a winner. So. Right. Yeah. If you buy and hold long term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's interesting what you said about the vacation properties too, because I've been you know, dabbling with the idea. Um, but the only way I would get into it is if I knew that you know, the, during the rental season, I could cover it for the entire year and then have it in the off season for myself for free. Yep, exactly. And that's, I think what a lot of people overlook and then they get tied up in the, again, it's another expense. Yeah. All right. What's next? The next one was to consider multi-units to minimize the risk of vacancy if you got one tenant that leaves. So 
if you had like a, a triplex of three units and one tenant left, you know, you may go from $800 a month cash flow or 600, say you're making 200 on each unit to no cash flow, but no cash flow would be better than negative cash flow. So the other two tenants would likely carry the cost of the empty unit. So it's a good way to kind of hedge your bets, you know, if you, if you have a vacancy. You know, the same would apply to once you have multiple units, you know, the cash flow of the other two units would likely offset some of the costs of the vacant unit. This is a really good point. This is one that I've started thinking about more lately when I've been reading some more about real estate investing and the possibility of uh, maybe trying to trade up from some all the properties I own are sing, either single family home, condo, or townhouse, with the exception of one, which is a two family home, which is the one I originally moved into when we got married. And Vittorio's right. I mean, if someone leaves, obviously it minimizes your risk if you have another unit with income in that building. And I've even thought about the possibility of trying to sell maybe one or two of these and buying up to a building with maybe four to eight units or a strip mall or something like that. But again, a whole nother, you're opening up a whole nother can of worms where now you really have to deal with more tenants and maybe really consider having a management company and paying them 10% of the rent to, to handle it. So so there's always pluses and minuses that you need to think about. But I think the idea of a two, three unit place is one that uh, is a really good one and it really can minimize your risk. And along the same lines, like you said, a strip mall, that would be really nice to have a uh, you know, the diversified income of a you know, business on the first floor and apartments above it. Yeah, exactly. You get some more diversity there and get businesses in, which is could be good, I guess. Could be good, could be bad. But again, something that definitely I want to look into as moving forward here. The other thing, like you said, the way you got started, it's a good way to start as a young investor. You can live on one side if you had a duplex and, and rent the other. And then when your wife says that she doesn't want to live in a rental anymore, you can uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can have your first real rental property with two units. Yeah, it's a great way to go. I mean, if you are looking to buy first-time home buyer, really buying a two family house and renting half can really defray, you know, lower your living expenses and basically set you up for a great future rental property. I mean, I, I would do it if I had to do it again, I'd do it a million times again the same way. The only thing I have to, to note here is um, when you're buying a property, you got to keep in mind your exit strategy. And with multi-units, they're really only going to be attractive to a, a small number of buyers, which are mainly investors. So when you do go to sell the property, you're going to have a smaller market of buyers that are going to be interested in it. Yeah, that's a good point. So the next one is to be prepared to deal with tenants. You know, At least up front until you can pay for a management company, you need to, need to be comfortable with the fact that you're going to be getting phone calls. You're going to, um, you know, you're going to have to deal with tenants. They say, like Rich Dad says, it's passive income, but it's really not truly passive income. Even if you had a property management company, you know, you got to find the deals, you got to, you know, get them established. You have to, you know, manage contractors, manage your, your property manager. So I don't really see it as a, as a truly passive business. You know, people say it's, it's easy. You don't, you don't have to do anything and just make all this money. But yeah. to me, it's really still a hands-on, a hands-on uh, investment. So when dealing with tenants, I had a few tips here. Um, you really need to be fair, but be firm with your tenants. Um, you know, don't listen to their excuses of why the rent's late and that kind of thing. Remember, it's a business, and you can't let their problems become your problems. I've heard it, so many excuses of why they haven't been able to pay, and I've said it to the tenants straight out. You know, you're letting your problem become my problem. It's not my problem. I'm going to file eviction if you don't pay me. So 
you know, that's, that's the downside of the, of the business, but most tenants, you know, aren't a problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. You got to be firm. It's not always easy to do, but you need to be firm and remember that as a business. And the, one of the things that I do with all of my tenants, especially just along the lines of streamlining things is I have them deposit the rent directly into my checking account. I give them deposit slips. And what I tell them is I said, listen, you've got to deposit your rent directly into my account. And then I pay the mortgage right out of that account automatically every month. I mean, it's not like they're all going to just pay because of that, but a lot of times you just, you know, you reinforce in their minds that, listen, I'm paying mortgage every month with your rent, essentially. And so that seems to work pretty good. And having them deposit it has been great because I don't need to get checks in the mail anymore and then deposit them and, and that stuff. So that's worked out really well. Yeah. And there's definitely tons of options for uh, electronic payments. I use a website service where tenant has a portal, they log on, they can see their statement, uh, they can pay right out of their checking account each month. So. It definitely, I mean, it's, there's a cost to it, but it's definitely, um, in terms of headaches, made things a lot a lot simpler. What is that portal called, Victoria? Uh, it's called buildium.com. Okay. I can give you my referral link. Maybe I can get some. <laughs> yeah, no, send it to me. Actually, we'll, we'll add it to the uh, show notes because I'm going to check that out too. That sounds good. Yeah, they just raised the price, which I wasn't happy about, but it, it, you know, it saves me a lot of headaches. So, I, so it's like a payment gateway, essentially? Kind of yeah, like- I have a whole website where it, it does a lot more than just the payment gateway. Um, I accept my applications through there. Oh, okay. They submit their application. They pay their, their application fee right on the website when they submit it. It uh, manages their lease. So like I put it in there. It automatically adds you know the rent to their statement each month. So you, you do yours on your own then without a realtor? Is that right? Or is it different for different properties? Or Yeah. Um, I actually, I use a realtor sometimes to, uh, to show the property and, and get the tenant. I pay them, you know, a half month to a one month rent uh, okay. for finding the tenant. But I take it from there and, uh, you know, manage the whole property. Okay. So yeah, a, ser- a service like that makes things a lot easier. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. So uh, when we're still dealing with tenants, thing to keep in mind is you want to keep them happy because vacancies cost money. So if you're not responsive, uh, you know if you're not making repairs, they're going to move on, and you're going to be stuck with an empty property, and you're going to have to do it all over again. Try to find a new tenant, and uh, you know, and eat the holding costs while it's sitting vacant. So you want to be responsive when your tenants call. Try to get back to them, you know, in quickly manner. You know, make repairs, and at renewal time, if you really want to keep them happy, offer upgrades like new ceiling fan or fresh coat of paint or hmm. something that, uh, you know, that'll keep them happy. Good point. So the next one is you really want to have a, a good lease and some written rental criteria. So my tip is really to, to hire a professional. It's a business and it's, it's too important to, um, you know, you can go to Staples and get the, the $20 lease off the shelf, but right. <laughs> it's probably not going to have everything that a professional lease would have to protect you. And really, the, the lease is everything when you're renting. So find a landlord-tenant attorney that, that is really experienced in your county and uh, you know, hire him to, for his lease. He's gone through evictions. He knows what, you know, what the judges look for, and chances are he's got that in his lease. So it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that real quickly is I use a service called Prepaid Legal. And the reason I got it is because the engineering company I used to work for had it as an employee benefit, and then I just kept paying it after I left. But essentially, and I believe they have these all over the United States and maybe beyond the US, I'm not sure. But I know that essentially they have it here in, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, where you can pay like $20 a month to this prepaid legal service. And 
they give you maybe like unlimited review of legal documents each year. They'll write like up to five letters for you. They'll represent you in court if you get like a traffic, if you get pulled over and it only costs you $25 for them to go to court for you. So it's got a lot of benefits, especially as a landlord. I use it quite a bit. Like if you have a lease and you want them to review it or prepare it, they will. You might have to pay a little extra, but it's not, it's a lot more inexpensive than going to a lawyer and paying, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour. And also it's nice to have it. Like if you want to just call them up and ask a question, you can, there's unlimited phone calls. Mm-hmm. It's a really good service. I highly recommend it. And I know they have it in other, I recommended it recently to a friend in Illinois and he found one in his area. So I think you can find these services throughout the country. Keep in mind, you get, you get what you pay for. So if you get the $20 lease off of the Staples shelf, it's probably worth $20. <laughs> yep. No, it's, it's true. I tried doing my own in the beginning and it was a mess and I ended up ended, ended up using the realtor's lease, which was good. And I had a, an attorney review it basically. All right. So the, the next tip is to um, set your screening criteria. You really want to treat everyone equally so that you can avoid claims of discrimination. And your set screening criteria makes sure that everyone's playing by the same rules. Uh, you know, it states your income requirements, your, um, you know, your credit requirements and all that. And screening really is the key to finding quality tenants. At a minimum, you really want to want to do an eviction, criminal background, and credit check. Uh, and you want to call previous landlords. You probably want to call the two previous landlords because the current landlord, you know, if it's a bad tenant, will say anything to get them out of their property. So you really want to call the, the landlord before that, and uh, you know, make sure you do diligence because a, a bad tenant can really cost you a lot of money, either with damages or with vacancies. So. I've had some some issues with screening where, you know, you call their, their references and you have somebody who claims to be the landlord and it's really their sister and yeah. You like, ask them questions yeah. that the landlord would know and <laughs> and they, they're they're answering wrong and you know they're answering wrong because you have the tenant's application there. So you know, you really want to make sure that you you take your time to screen correctly. Yeah, and it's really like Vittorio said, this is a huge, huge point and I know sometimes it's difficult as a landlord that you want to take the tenant because you want to fill the property, but you have to understand that if you take someone with bad credit just because you want to take the property and then they don't pay you, it's going to cost you a lot more money and time and grief in the long run. So when we've had to deal with this with the property I mentioned earlier, where you know we just rented it and we had to go through like five to 10 applicants to find the right one, but we've done this before and we know now that it's worth taking a couple extra weeks or even a month to get the person that's going to be maybe longer term, better credit, all their references check out. It's a critical, critical aspect of, you know, keeping the rental property. I don't want to say, I mean, it's always going to have some things you got to deal with, but kind of as low maintenance as possible, I guess is a good way to say it. Yeah. In New Jersey, an eviction can take up to three months, I think. So, you know, that's three months of your tenant not paying. And, you know, and then you have to list the property Well, you got to do any repairs if they've trashed it. And then, yeah. and then you got to list the property, find a new tenant and do it all over again. So, you know, spending the time up front will really save you a lot of money. in the long run. Definitely. All right. What do we got next? Use a move-in form when you, when you sign it up, doing the lease signing, uh, take tons of photos, really want to document the, the condition of the property when they're moving in. You really want to know the laws of your state, security deposit law, fair housing law. In New Jersey, the security deposit law is pretty specific. You're allowed a max one and a half months rent. Uh, it has to be an interest-bearing account with the tenant's name on it. You have to send them a notice with the location, you know, the address of the bank and the um, the interest rate. So 
it's pretty specific. And if you if you mess that up, they can sue you for I believe it's twice the amount of the deposit, and you can't ask for another deposit. So that can really cause you problems if you don't follow the laws there. Fair housing law, same thing. You know, there's protected classes, there's federally protected classes, and there's probably protected classes in your state. You want to make sure that you're following the laws so that you don't get yourself into some hot water. And that security deposit, you have to return it within a certain period of time after they vacate the property. And if you're going to take any money out of it, you've got to send them a, uh, send them a, well, again, I'm speaking in New Jersey, but you know, I'm sure it's similar throughout. You just have to check your laws, but you have to send a certified letter um, with a breakdown of why you're keeping money and any receipts that you may have used for repairs, et cetera. That's a critical thing. We've gotten burned on that a few times. Yep. All right. What do we got next? So along those lines, you want to, you want to keep good records. You want to document all the correspondence that you've had with your tenants. Um, especially when things start to go south, you want to make sure that you have documented, uh, repair requests, you know, when the repair was completed, you know, when you received the rent checks, you know, photocopy the checks, uh, keep a log. You want to document any correspondence with the town and municipality when it comes to to inspections and getting your CO, your rental license each year. And you want to make sure you save any of your receipts or expenses for um, capital improvements or you know any deductions for when it comes to uh, tax time. That's a big one too. You want to make sure you save all those receipts and you know maybe jot down what, what it was for so you can keep a good record of that to give to your accountant at the end of the year because that's where you can get some of that, you know, some of the tax benefits from real estate. Yeah, I actually just started looking into um Evernote or cam scanner to try to uh, take some of that, those receipts out of my uh, filing cabinet. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I heard that some people do that. Take a picture of the receipt. That way you don't have, have to scribble on it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one, which kind of goes in line with, um, you know, keeping the property as close as possible is um, to inspect the property often. So you want to make sure that, uh, you know, even if you don't go in, you got to give the tenant notice before you can go on the property. So, I mean, even if you're not going in it, uh, at least drive by it, make sure things look good from the outside. You know, I had a story where I wanted to show the property and uh, I called the tenant the day before to give them notice. And uh, they said that they were having a family party or something like that, a dinner party, and they wanted me to reschedule. So I said, okay, I was still in town for, I think, a meeting or, or looking at another property. So I decided to drive by the property and I saw that it was it was completely vacant. It was dark. So I pulled in the driveway and then I noticed that the one of the windows was broken. So I decided to to go in to make sure that everything was in order and it wasn't, you know, a, a vandalism or, or, or breaking. And I find that there they must have been having raves in there or something. There was like <laughs> black lights, there was uh chalk writing on, on the walls and like oh stuff hanging gosh. from the ceilings. Uh <laughs> And in the one room, there was a, a bong sitting in the middle <laughs> of the room. So uh, that really goes to, uh, you know, make sure you can get in there as often as possible. If, if not to, you know, really inspect it, at least to just give it a once over and make sure there's nothing, nothing bad going on inside. No, you're right. And it's something too that I, I always say to do. And then I always end up, you know, putting it off myself. But I, what I've been trying to do lately is like if I have stuff like the rental renewal, I will drive it there and meet with them to go over it. And it gives me an opportunity to walk inside the house and walk around the house and look at some things and or at a minimum drive by because a couple of the properties are pretty close to my house. So definitely, definitely inspect the property often. And again, like Pretoria said, that goes back to not having a property too far away. 
I mean, I'm at the point where I'm just anything else I do it has to be really close to my house, like literally, like could be blocks away. It's just it just makes life a lot easier. All right, what do we got? Last one here. Last one would be don't try to do it all yourself. You really need to develop your team. Uh, some people call it a power team. You you should have you know at least in mind who would you who you would use in certain situations. Uh, that would be like an attorney, accountant, realtors, bankers, contractors. One of the key things that you need as a realtor, I mean, as a landlord, is uh, a good handyman. And it seems like these guys all have expiration dates. So yeah. <laughs> you find a good one; it's everything's great for a few months, and then you know he stops returning your phone calls. So you really need to have have a, a list of of go to people for certain situations. That was a big part of that book that I mentioned before, the ABCs of real estate investing. Was he spent a lot of time talking about putting the right team together? Especially if you're going to do, you know, a number of properties. I mean, if it's one property, it's one property. But you start to get two, three, four, five properties, and if they're in this, a similar area and you have a pretty good team, that can really help you to do a lot of the things Vittorio talked about: be responsive, make repairs, take some of the stress off of having to go to the properties as often as possible. So I think you know, hiring the right people. Listen, it's an investment. You have cash flow. You use some of that cash to hire people to make sure that it's done right and it continues to operate and bring in the cash. It's like anything else. You need to invest in it. So that that kind of covers quite a bit of information here. Obviously, this is an episode you'd probably want to listen to if you're really serious about real estate investing. We covered some of the benefits up front of the episode of real estate investing. Uh, Vittorio got into the four different investment strategies, wholesaling, flipping, lease option or rent to own and then the buy and hold. And then we ran through some key points for rentals. Real quick, I'll do a real quick recap. Ensure you have enough capital before you purchase. Know your numbers as far as what your monthly payments, insurance, taxes are going to be. Location is absolutely critical as far as the rental desirability, employment, public transportation. Keep the property as close as possible to your primary residence. We mentioned that several times during the episode. Consider multi-units to minimize your risk. Be prepared to deal with tenants. It's not a truly passive effort. Have a good lease and set your criteria and processes. Do tenant screening. It's better to take a little more time to get a better tenant than to go with just the first person that comes knocking. Keep really good records of documents of correspondence with municipality, tenants, etc. Inspect the property often. And lastly, don't try to do it yourself. Delegate where you can. Pay people to do stuff where you can. I think it'll be really helpful for you. And just want to mention one more time before I jump into the, the last segment of the show here is we have all this information for you at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash real estate. I'm going to list any books that I mentioned that Vittorio mentioned and other things that I might think of before we publish the episode because I've read quite a few books on real estate and I'll try to link to a couple other websites that have good real estate resources and I'll get some of that information that Vittorio mentioned and we'll put it all there. Vittorio, listen, man, it was a lot of information you gave us here. So thanks a lot for coming on and doing this. Really appreciate it. No problem. It's great. Thanks. All right, I'm going to jump into the last segment of the show and kind of tie all this up and give you an actionable piece of advice. So now it's time for our Take Action Today segment. I hope you enjoyed the session on real estate today. Believe me, I know it's overwhelming. If you haven't invested in real estate or thought about it, what really drove me to always invest in real estate 
is when I was a kid, people always used to tell me that when I was your age or, you know, if I would have bought properties when I was 20 or 30 years old, I would have been rich by now. I wouldn't have had to work and all this stuff. And I just kept saying to myself, I'm not going to say that, you know, to my kids or to anyone when I'm that age. So I, I made sure that I, I did want to invest in real estate. But what I'm going to do is just give you kind of one simple tip to get started if you're not really sure where to go. Before I do that, let me just offer a word from today's episode sponsor, PPI. I get emails, LinkedIn messages all the time from listeners asking me what exam prep materials or review courses that they should use when they're preparing for the FEP or, or SE exam. Hands down, I always recommend PPI. If you plan to take your exam soon, we have a special promo code for our listeners. The promo code is COACH, and you get 15% off your order at ppitopass.com forward slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash coach and use the promo code coach at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. PPI's mission is really simple. They want to help engineers pass the FE, PE, and SE exams and advance their careers. Obviously something that's very in line with the engineering career coach. Quality is paramount at PPI. In fact, it's the driving force behind everything they do. With best-selling exam review materials developed by PPI founder Michael Lindeberg and other experts in the industry, they have been the source and solution for passing the FE, PE, and SE exams for more than 40 years. To see how PPI can help you pass your exam and for special offers and discounts exclusive to our podcast listeners, visit ppitopass.com forward slash coach. All right. So let me give you this one piece of advice. You're thinking about maybe getting into real estate. You want to start investing. The most important aspect of starting to dive into real estate investment is capital. You need money. You can't get in the game without money, especially with today's stringent mortgage guidelines. You're going to need at a minimum 20% to put down on an investment property. So what you need to do immediately before you start researching locations and rental properties and buying books on real estate, which believe me, I've done if you see my shelf, you need to save money. The best way to save money, I mean, there's really only two ways to do it, right? You got to increase your earnings or you got to decrease your expenses and you've got to put that money away. The easiest way to do it is, of course, to decrease your expenses because you you can't necessarily immediately go out and and get a raise today in your job or get a, a second job. But if you can, that's great. But just make a commitment to save X amount of dollars every month. And if you miss a month, try to you know correct it at the end of the year, which is what I try to do. I use Capital One for my savings accounts and they allow you to just in a matter of seconds, create a new account. So you can just create an account that's called you know real estate investment or down payment account or whatever you want and just set it up so it does an automatic withdrawal from your checking account every month. It doesn't even have to be that much money. Just start with whatever you can and start building it up. And then if you get a bonus at work, maybe you dump some in there. If you get a birthday gift, maybe you dump some into that account. And then, you know, after time, you'll you'll maybe have enough saved up in there to make some kind of investment of whatever that investment might be. Maybe you start it as, as a small condo and you purchase it. And then maybe you use that to purchase something bigger. All right. So please take action to start saving and get into the real estate game if you can, if you think it's something you're going to enjoy, because it can be lucrative. It can give you another investment in addition to maybe stocks or bonds that you might have. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I certainly did. I'm grateful that Vittorio spent so much time with us. We would love to hear your feedback on this episode, especially because it's a little bit different than our typical ones. You can go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash real estate. That's all lowercase. Put the two words together, no space in between real estate. 
and we monitor all comments on the post. So if you leave a comment, we'll get back to you. Or you could always email me at afasano at engineeringcareercoach.com. And if you enjoyed the show and you haven't heard episode 65 with the summary of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, check that one out as well. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.